That's a powerful song, isn't it? I don't know about, about you guys, but uh, I do appreciate Kerry. I appreciate his ministry and the songs that he picks. Um, it's hard, really, to do that job because you can't please everybody. I like to say, look at an audience like this and how many different radio stations and genres of music do we listen to? Uh, so that's a tough job. When I was growing up, it wasn't hard in church to pick music. Hymns, that was it, right? It was just hymns. Um, in fact, kind of reminds me of this lady who at church one Sunday night, uh, the preacher got up and he said, uh, whoever gives the most to the offering tonight, I'll let you pick three hymns. He was trying to raise some money for the uh, mission, missionary they had that night. And uh, so one lady stood up right away and said, I'll give $100. And an elder, he stood up and said, I'll give $150 to the offering tonight. And that lady, she came back and she said, uh, I'll give $200. Well, the elder, he didn't want to bid her up anymore because he knew she didn't have a lot of money. And it seemed like she really wanted to be able to pick three hymns. So he let her have it. And the preacher says, okay, uh, you get to pick three hymns. Uh, what, what ones do you want? And she kind of uh, looked around shyly and she says, uh, I'll take him and him and him. I think she was a little bit confused. Uh, but talking about hymns, what are some of your favorite hymns? I'm going to give you about 10 seconds. I want you to think, what is your number one favorite him, and I want you to tell someone around you what your favorite hymn is. Okay, what are, what are a few of the hymns? What are your favorite hymns? Can I hear a couple? How Great Thou Art, that's my favorite hymn. Uh, when the charts come out listing uh, favorite hymns for people, usually that one's number two on the list. How great thou art. I love that. It talks about the majesty and glory of God, who he is. Another one, Amazing Grace. You know, it's amazing. You guys pick the top two. Amazing Grace almost always comes out number one as a favorite hymn for people. Uh, a few of my other ones that I like, um, I like Love Lifted Me. I like that song. And then another fairly new hymn uh, that I like is I'll Fly Away. How many of you guys know that song, I'll Fly Away? Okay, most all of you do, but just to remind you of how that song goes, I'm going to sing the first, first verse of that for you this morning. Yeah, <laughs> you laugh now. <laughs> it goes like this. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. <laughs> Did you notice how the song starts? 
It says, some glad morning, when this life is o'er, when this life is over, I'm going to fly away. (laughs) You know, I hope for every one of us in here this morning that it will be a glad morning. But the truth is, for some people, I'm not saying any of us, but for some people, it'll be a sad morning. And what's going to make the difference? What makes the difference is how we live today, what we do now. And as we're entering into 2020, into a new year, I want us to reflect on how we've lived this past year, but I also want to give us hope. I I want us to focus on how we're going to live this coming year in 2020. What are the things that we're going to do in 2020 to, to make it a good year? I want to tell you, I've done a lot of funerals. There's a big difference between doing a funeral for a believer and a funeral for a non-believer. When I do a funeral for a believer, it's easy to put it together. It's a celebration. We know where they're going. We know because of who, because of the fact that they made Jesus their Lord and Savior. But a non-believer, it's hard to know what to say. Where's the hope that you can give them? And it's hard when you know them and you know the family and your heart just breaks for them. Because what kind of hope can you give? I wish everyone, as a preacher, I wish everyone lived by the words of Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want you to say those words with me. Let's say that together. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. My favorite paraphrase of that verse goes like this. It says, teach us to count our days so that we can make our days count. We need to live this year especially because, you know, we can't control what's done in 2019 anymore. But in 2020, we need to live this year in a way that we can make each and every day count. Now this sermon, I hope it's not a depressing sermon because it's not about death and dying. This sermon really is about life and living. It's about living our life in such a way that when we leave here, we have no regrets for the way that we lived. So if we want to live our life in such a way that we have no regrets, in such a way that we make our days count, what do we need to do? We need to answer a couple of questions. You'll find them in your bulletin. The first question is this, how should I live? If 2020 is going to be a good year, how should I live? If this was the last year of my life, I'd want to make sure that I lived in such a way that I was ready to step into eternity and face Jesus. Thomas A. Kempis, he wrote, Vanity is to wish to live long and be careless to live well. Wishing to live long but being careless to live well. We need to make sure that each day counts. We need to make sure that each day counts. Uh, that the way we're living it is in such a way that it really matters. Live well. Jerry Seinfeld about death, he said, according to most studies, people's number one fear 
is public speaking. Their number two fear is death. And then he went on to say, so you realize that this is actually true and you find yourself at a funeral? You're better off being the one in the coffin than being the one giving the eulogy. Now, I, I don't agree with him, and I don't think many of us agree with him. But I think the Apostle Paul, he might. Because the Apostle Paul, he said, I'd much rather find myself getting ready to meet Jesus than I would to be here giving another speech. Unless, of course, in giving that speech, I was telling someone about Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, this morning with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Now, as best as we can tell, this is probably the last letter that Paul wrote. This is late in Paul's life, and we see that by his words, he's getting ready to meet Jesus. He knows that he's about to come face to face with Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Paul writes, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. You hear that? Paul knows that he's ready. He knows it won't be long. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me. Listen to this. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Oh, hear those words and let those words sink in. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I'm ready. I'm ready. I kept the faith. I want to take those words and, if I could, condense those words down to just two words. Basically, Paul's saying, I have no regrets. I live my life in such a way, you know, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. I lived in such a way that I have no regrets. And Paul didn't have a death wish, I don't think. But Paul's saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to go on. He's saying, I know, I, I understand that this world isn't all there is, and I know that I'm not always going to be part of this world. But since I'm not always going to be part of this world, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life in such a way that I'm keeping my eyes on the prize. I'm keeping my eyes on the prize. I've heard it said that Christians, we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. And I believe that. That's true. But I believe the opposite is also true. And, and that is that we can be so focused on this world that we lose sight of heaven. And this morning, I want to remind us to keep our eyes focused on heaven. Tony Campolo, he did a study of centurions. Now, centurions are people who've lived to be 100 years of age or older. And in this study, he asked one simple question. And the question is, if you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? There were three main answers that came. The first answer was this. They said, well, if I could live my life over again, I'd take more risks. I wouldn't play it so safe. I would take more risks. Secondly, they said, I'd reflect more on my life. I wouldn't just race through life. I'd kind of 
live in the moment. I'd be present. And the third answer they gave, I'd invest more energy in things that would outlast me. I like that. I'd invest more energy in things that would outlast me. All of them were basically saying, you know, we had some regrets in the way that we lived. We would do something differently. But the Apostle Paul, he says no. He says, I lived my life in such a way that I have no regrets. Lord, teach us to count our days so that we can make our days count. We need to understand our days are limited. And we need to live our lives. And as we come into 2020, live our life in such a way that we make the best use of each one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we find that Paul tells us what he did, how he lived in such a way that he wouldn't have any regrets. Paul says, this is what I did in my life. And if we want to live without any regrets, if we want to live in such a way that we make our days count, I think the Apostle Paul is someone who's good to follow his example. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. In other words, he's saying, I laid foundations, but you be careful how you build on, on this foundation. And then he tells us what the foundation is. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, capital D day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Paul says, as I look at my life, what I look at it as is a person who goes around laying a bunch of foundations. I'm just laying foundations for others to build their lives on. I don't see my life as finishing a cathedral, as building a building. I don't see my life as establishing a temple. I see my life as laying foundations. I don't know about you, but to me that doesn't sound uh, very, I, I don't know what word I'm looking for. It doesn't sound very exciting. Laying foundations? I'd want to be the one who puts the, the, the steeple on top of the church. I'd want to be the one who builds build big buildings. I want to be the one who does things that people notice. But Paul says, no, that's not what you want to do. He says what you want to do is you want to lay foundations for others to build their lives on. I don't know how many of you know this, but Nancy and I were adding on to our daughter's house. What we're doing is we're building a place for us to live. Now, what we did was we had a contractor come in and he took off the top of their garage and then we built another garage behind it and we're going to live in the area above the two garages. Now, when the contractor came in, I thought he was just going to kind of lay a big old slab of concrete down there and build on top of it. It's not what he did. What he did was he dug down, he got this big old 
machine and dug down four, five, six feet deep, built a great foundation, and then he laid the slab on top of that. You see, it's more than just a slab. If it was just a slab, that wouldn't be a very good foundation, and the structure would cave in. So the foundation is what's important. How many of you have ever built a sandcastle? I know we don't have any beaches nearby, but how many of you have built sandcastles? Okay, a few of us. Can you show me one of those sandcastles? Why not? They don't last very long, do they? I want to tell you, some people take building sandcastles to the extreme. In fact, we've got a few pictures here. Now, that's a pretty good sandcastle. I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty big, actually. Oh, wow, that one's more elaborate, isn't it? I couldn't do that. I mean, people take so much time and effort into building sandcastles and sand sculptures. In fact, they have contests for this. They have contests, and some of these sandcastles can be 17, 18 feet high. As you look at these sandcastles that people built, you look at it, and it almost makes you feel sad. I mean, think about it. All the time, all the effort that went into building that sandcastle, and yet you know it's not going to last. In fact, something really crazy, when they have these sandcastle contests, what happens is there comes a time where all the evaluations and the prizes have been given out, and then what they do is the the judges come in and they remove the ropes that are keeping people away from the sandcastles, and people can come up to the sandcastles, and what you'll see is some kids come up to them and get their pictures taken with them, and then all of a sudden, and, and it never fails. It's a kid, usually a boy, seven, eight, nine years old. He'll back up about 10, 12 feet. And the people who built it, they can't do anything about it because it's over. And the boys, they'll, they'll come running and they'll jump as high as they can into that sandcastle and then all of a sudden start destroying it. And then two or three other boys join in. And before you know it, what do you have left? Nothing but a pile of sand. And Paul, what, 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 I, I would kind of be upset about that if I was the one who built that sandcastle and all of a sudden it gets destroyed like this. But what can I expect? It's a sandcastle. It's not going to last forever. And the Apostle Paul, he says, well, that's kind of what it's like living our life here. What are you building? Are you building sandcastles? Are you building solid buildings with stone and precious jewels and things that will last and what you're building are you building it on a solid foundation because if you aren't building on a solid foundation and the foundation being Jesus it doesn't matter what you're using it's not going to last because the foundation is going to crumble and the building will crumble So what are we building for our families? As we look back on 2019, what did we build into their lives? Was it something that will last? Hopefully, 
as we look out, our children and grandchildren will someday be sitting where we are. Building on the faith that we've established. And they'll be asking, what did they do in 2019? What did they do in 2020 that helped, that really counted, that really mattered? How did they make their days count? Because building a foundation that will last, what it really requires is investing in people. Taking time with people. I remember back in the uh, early 90s, 1992, I believe it was, uh, Nancy and I took the kids to Disney World. And this was before the days of digital recording devices like cell phones and things like that. Uh, And believe it or not, there was a day, kids, before cell phones that would record things on the cameras. And... uh, What was popular in our day was the big old VHS cameras. How many of you remember those? Yeah, they were big to lug around. I didn't want to get one of those big ones, so we got an 8mm video camera. And we recorded the shows, we recorded the the, uh, rides that we went on, we recorded the whole place. And what we wanted to do was to be able to look back and kind of relive the adventure. Well, a few years later, we looked at the videos. And you know what we found? We found the shows. We found the rides. But we were missing the kids. We left the kids out of it. Oh, we had a few of them. But really, when we were looking back, what we wanted to see was the children. And that was missing. The point is, don't go through life leaving people out of it. We need to spend time with people. So the first question is this, how should I live? I should live in such a way that I'm laying the foundation of Jesus in the lives of people. I'm laying the foundation of Jesus. I'm teaching them about Jesus. I'm teaching them to obey Jesus. The second question we need to ask if we want to make our days count, what will I leave behind? Everything that you're working for, what are you going to leave behind? Solomon, he really wrestled with this question. And in Ecclesiastes, he wrote about it because he was saying, you know, it's all vanity. Everything that I've worked so hard for, the people who are going to get it, are they going to really add to it or are they going to just kind of waste it? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17, Solomon says this, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. We worry about who's going to get what we're working for. Are they going to appreciate it? Are they going to add to it? Or are they going to just kind of waste it? What are they going to do? A couple of uh, weeks ago, Dave and Tammy, they uh, taught us this game. We went over to their house and had a meal. And uh, they taught us this game. And you need to listen carefully to me. 
because I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. The name of the game was cover your assets. And in this game, what you do is you collect things like houses, cars, uh, uh, furniture, I don't know, some precious metals, and all these things have dollar values attached to them. And the goal of the game is to have the most assets that come up to the most dollar value. And at the end of the game, if you have the most in dollar value, you win the game. I kind of think that's how we think life goes. We kind of think he who dies with the most toys wins. He who has collected the, the most assets is the winner. But Paul says, no, 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 that's not the way it goes. It's not about collecting things. In fact, um, I want you to look at a few pictures we have here of things that people collect. A lot of people are coin collectors. Now, that has a good monetary value to it. What are some of the other? Oh, car collection. I don't know about you, but I love a good classic car. And those look nice. Seashells, okay? Some people just go along to the, the seashore and it kind of reminds them of their time on the seashore. I don't know, but people collect different kinds of seashells. Bells, uh, th those are all porcelain bells. Some people collect bells. My mother, she collected bells. She collected porcelain bells, metal bells. Uh, she collected all kinds of bells. And I don't really think she did it on purpose. I think what happened was she had a few bells at home and people just kind of noticed it and they kind of added to her bells. Whenever they were at the store, they saw a little bell, they would get it and give it to her. Or if they were at a yard sale or saw one at the Salvation Army, they would buy those bells and they would give them to my mother. And through time, she just kind of collected these things. And like Solomon, we hope that when we die, someone is going to take care of our collections. That they're going to appreciate them. Uh, at, at least that they're not going to sell the collection off. And we hope that people will appreciate what we've done, what we've left behind. Now, my, my mother, she died three years ago. Three years ago on Christmas was the day that she died. And I can tell you right now, I have no idea what happened to her bell collection. Do you know what the number one thing is that people kind of collect? Money. Money. And they don't even put it in a place where they can appreciate it. We don't keep it at home where we can look at it and say, oh, wow, what a good pile of money I have. They keep it locked up in a bank. And Paul would say, instead of collecting, what we need to be doing is we need to be investing. As a church, I want to tell you, we're going to be investing in the youth. Um, you know about the module that we have in back, and I'm, I'm sure everybody in the church here knows about it. But the city has told us that we can only use it for a few more years. And then after that, we're going to have to build something that's going to be permanent for them. Either build something permanent for them or uh, repurpose the building that we have so that we can provide a space in the building. But bottom line is we're not going to be able to keep that module. 
the trailer in the back. So we're looking at what we can do, and that's going to cost a little bit of money. So one way you can invest in future generations is by investing in what, whatever we're going to do for the youth. Abraham, he understood the principle here, the principle of investing in future generations. He understood it in the simple act of planting a tree. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, it says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree. You might ask, well, what's the big deal? What's so significant about that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what's so significant about it is a tamarisk tree is a very slow-growing tree. And Abraham planted it at a very advanced age. So here's the thing. He was never going to be able to enjoy that tree. And the sole purpose of a tamarisk tree is to provide shade. No fruit, nothing like that, just shade. So, so what we see is Abraham was never going to be able to sit under the shade of that tree in the desert and enjoy the shade. So why did he do it? Simply because he was investing for future generations. And I want to say this morning, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be shade tree planters, inv investing in future generations. We need to be doing things so that others can benefit. After all, I like to say, you know, this, this world isn't our home. I'm just passing through. In fact, living in this world can be compared to checking into and living for a few weeks in a hotel room. You know, we go to the front desk, we get the key, we go, to, uh, and we go into the room. Now, it used to be a day when we actually had keys, now we have little cards. But we go to the room, and we go inside, and as soon as we go inside, we notice this big, ugly picture on the wall. You've seen those. You've been in hotel rooms, right? And we say, you know what? I'm going to be here a while. I don't like that picture. And so we go to the store. <clears throat> we get a picture we like. We take the hotel's picture down, and we put our picture up. And then we turn on the light, and we notice the lamp. Oh, I don't like this lamp. So what do we do? Well, we go on our phone, and is it Wayfair or Mayfair? Okay, well, Wayfair. So we order a new one, and in a few days, we've got this new lamp that comes, and we put that in the place of the other one and throw the old one in the trash. And then we don't stop there, though. Uh, we sit down on the couch, and we notice the throw pillows. Uh, uh, we don't really like the pattern on the throw pillows. So we go down to the store, and we get a, a few more throw pillows and put those on the couch. And then we sit back, and we notice the curtains. They're a little tattered and torn. We don't like those. So we get a company to come in and uh, they measure and they uh, uh, order new curtains and they bring those new curtains a few weeks later and put those up. And then we sit down on the couch and we watch TV and we say, well, I don't really like that TV. It's only a 26 inch. 
we got to get a 60 inch or a 72 inch and, and why stop there but we get a surround sound and we put the surround sound in and then we lay down on the bed and we say oh this bed's a little bit hard for me i don't like this bed so we replace it with a sleep number bed and while we're at it we go out and get a couple of those my pillows you know you can't sleep without a my pillow and uh, we don't stop there we go into the bathroom and when we get into the bathroom uh, oh, everything works you know it's a serviceable bathroom but it's not the latest and greatest. So what do we do? We, we get a crew come in, they demolish it, and they put in a, a bathroom to our liking. You know what? We in the United States are the only ones who will take a perfectly good bathroom or a perfectly good kitchen and tear it out and put in an, another perfectly good bathroom or perfectly good kitchen. We do that, don't we? But we do this with the hotel room, and then all of a sudden, uh, on the day that we get everything exactly the way that we want it, it's time to check out. Now, would you consider that silly? Wouldn't you think of that as foolish? But Paul says that's what it's like when we live our life and we're investing in all these things that we can't take with us. When we're investing in these things that... Solomon says, you know, oh, it's grievous to me because I have to leave it with someone. And what's he going to do with it? So Paul says, instead of collecting, we need to be investing. We need to be investing in people. And he says, when we build these collections, we're foolish. We're building sandcastles. And someday they're going to come crumbling down. They won't last. And I think the problem that we have is really a simple one. We confuse this hotel room for our home. Because one day we're going to check out. And when we do, will we be leaving with regrets or with no regrets? I hope that we leave with no regrets because we've invested in people. Because we made our days count. Now to help us to remember this point. That we're going to make our days count. That this world really isn't our home. But that we're, in fact, here's what I want you to do. If you want to make this vow with me. Make a vow that in 2020. You are going to spend your days. Laying foundations in people's lives. The foundation of Jesus Christ, helping them to know who he is and to obey him. And to uh, invest in the people who are coming after me, after us. What I want you to do is I want you to join me in singing that song, I'll Fly Away. Will you do that with me this morning? Let's sing it. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away.
Heavenly Father, we want to live our lives in such a way that it, they count. Father, help us as we lay foundations, the foundation that was laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. And Father, help us to leave behind things that will last, to build our lives on Jesus, and the to leave behind things that will last and things that will matter for eternity. Because, Father, as we come into 2020, a new year, it gives us new opportunities, opportunities to do things for you. And, Father, that truly is what we want to do in this life. We want to leave without leaving regrets. In Jesus' name, amen.